Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. As a young girl growing up, what is the first brand that struck you for its creativity? So I grew up in Asia, and I remember Singapore Airlines was like the brand that I... um, I just I wanted to work for Singapore Airlines. I wanted to fly Singapore Airlines. I had I wanted to live Sing- on Singapore Airlines. <laughs> I had the Singapore girl batik outfit. I still have one in the adult size. Um, and there was just something around the experience, the imagination, mm-hmm. kind of the humanity of something that's yeah. like a really not a very human. Um, it's been funny because I've thought about it over time, which is like in this day and age, is the Singapore girl really right anymore and I know that that's but but beyond that representation it was just a brand that that did a really good job of being massively consistent in their promise and their experience um, and bringing kind of humanity to something that's generally not Hi I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Melissa Selker. SVP and Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the 19-year-old professional network company founded by Reid Hoffman. It was acquired by Microsoft in 2016 for $26 billion. Great move by Microsoft. LinkedIn is now north of $10 billion in revenue. My guest, Melissa, she goes by Mel, has been the CMCO for about two and a half years and has been at LinkedIn for about six and a half years. Mel has a strong pedigree in B2B marketing and communications. She has held roles at SanDisk, Sun Microsystems, and Cisco. Mel is a graduate of Princeton University with an MBA from the Haas School of Business at Berkeley. We recorded this conversation at the Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity in Cannes, France. This is my sunny conversation with a very sunny Mel Selker. Welcome, Mel, to the Can edition of the CMO Podcast. I first have to ask you, did you check me out on LinkedIn? I did. Yeah, you know, what was your takeaway? Um, you've had a really interesting career. Like I, um, and I've loved watching how it's evolved, and you and I just talked about it. Like I love you're in your element. You've kind of found your way to this thing that just seems to fit you so perfectly. And I think, I mean, isn't that the goal of every career? Absolutely. I think I'm telling you, I'm more and more 
people ask me for career advice all the time, and I'm like, it's just a data gathering exercise. So you learn more about yourself and more about what the world needs and that sort of ikigai. Um, and you kind of hopefully get to a place where I think you are, which is like your skills. You find something you love and your skills have evolved to make you good at that. And so it's fun to see. It's fun to watch. Thank you for that. I mean, I think they're all chapters, right? And yeah. A jungle gym. We all use that metaphor. I, I, think. I always say it's data gathering, right? It's just yeah. like I and I tell young people in their career, just take a ton of opportunities. Like you might think you know what you want to do, but just take a ton until you learn more about yourself, you learn more about what you're good at, you learn more about what the world needs. Like there's just, a, it's, it's data gathering. And you're an example of that. And we're mm-hmm. going to talk about your career yeah. in a little bit, but I want to, you're, you're in your first ep- visit to the Cannes Festival, right? Second. Second visit. Okay. Yeah. First, first as a sitting, sitting CMO. So I came before I was in this role. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, we're in the middle of the week, Mm -hmm. right? You've had a little time here. So I'd like to ask you, uh, is there anything that really struck you? It's really interesting. I think it's interesting to think about Cannes at this time when everything is going on around in the world. Um, It it has this impression of being this really glitzy event. And I think you and I talked about this. There's a ton of incredible value that happens at this event. And I think that's what strikes me. And that's what worries me a little bit about the Cannes ethos outside is that it feels like the big shows and islands and yachts, but it's been incredible for humans to come back together after two years apart. You realize that there's so much we can do remotely, but then there's just a magic that happens when humans come together. I think that idea of like just how we're inspiring each other. I spent some time in the Palais looking at the creative. It was intoxicating. Um, So like really good work happens here. I've probably met 40 CMOs in two days, which would take me what, you know, years, weeks of travel. So it's really, it's this, it's an interesting case. And there's a lot going on in the world. And so like when you're thinking about being at a place, um, is it the right use of your time? Is it the right use of of corporate uh, resources? I think it absolutely is being here. Um, And I think really important conversations are happening about how this industry moves the world forward. It's the only place where we all come together and there's a serendipity to it. And I, you know, I, I brought PNG here in 2003. It was one of the first clients to come with, and there's no doubt our marketing and our brand building got better. Yeah. There's no doubt we could track it. Yeah. So it is, it does have this glitz part because it is the South of France, but real stuff happens here. And I think people leave with ideas, actions, commitments, some renewal. Yeah. So I think it's a very, very powerful event for all those reasons. Well, and I'm curious if you feel the way I do, which is like, I feel like marketing just through the last couple of years has gotten more central to the business as well. So it's not just about like, is our creative great? I mean, marketing is now at the center of what every business cares about. So the conversations we're having are about driving growth, creating opportunity, helping people build careers that matter. I mean, it's it, it's meaningful conversations um, and it's great to do it with other humans you respect to inspire you to be better. I'll say. Now, before too long into this podcast, we're going to do a bit of a lightning round. Okay. Right? And we're going to focus it on creativity and cans. The first question is, how many hours of sleep are you averaging this week? So I think I told you, my room is across the street from the Spotify stage. So not many. Um, I will say, like, I loved seeing Dua Lipa um, from my bedroom. So I'd say I'm getting four or five. That's pretty good. Yeah, it feels, yeah. It feels better yeah, than the norm, better good. than the average. What's the best presentation you have attended or participated in? Hmm. There was a great one yesterday, you and I both were in it, where Chris walked through how to talk to a CFO. Chris Burgrave. Yes. Yeah, who used to be at AB and Bev and Coke. Yeah, I I loved it. I took pictures, I took notes, just about how to translate what we know the value of what we do is into CFO language. I think we could all get better at it and talk about 
um, willingness to sell, willingness to pay, and sort of those gaps. So I told him I'm going to try it with my CFO next week, and we'll see. But I found that to be a really uh, impactful session. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, most interesting person you have met this week. Oh, okay. this is easy. So I had lunch with the CMO of a private jet company. And I know nothing about the private jet industry. I found it fascinating. The top 10 players in the private jet industry are only 10% of the market. The top player has less than 5%. Number three player has less than 1%. So you have this massively fragmented market. But what was most interesting was like talking about his marketing challenges because he has a concentrated base of customers, but he also has a bunch of dynamics. He has a generational wealth um, transfer. So he's got to reach a whole new generation of customers who have seen fl- what he calls flight shaming. Um, and he needs to get them to feel comfortable buying private jets. And so he's done an incredible, his ESG story was brilliant. Like he, they're going to be the first private jet company to be carbon neutral by 2025. Like just incredible. Wow. But he can't tell the story. He's like, no one wants to hear it from a private jet company. So it was like, it, I just, wow. I was, I was This is what, this what can is, right? Oh my goodness. It was yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So good. Any brand or company that is standing out to you this year at the festival? Obviously the private jet company, but anyone else that's standing out? Oh, it's such a good question. Um, I don't know that I think standing out is the goal I would say that marketers should have at can. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that like even answering that question is kind of disingenuous to my thought, which is I think every company should think about what's the best use of can for their, for their mm-hmm. platform and for them. So, um, you know, credit to my team. It's not, I love how I love our presence. We build yeah. a beautiful studio. We're doing a ton of content um, and driving a bunch of conversations. So for us, content and conversations made sense. I think for Spotify, they're doing an incredible. Like they're an entertainment platform. They're, so what I love is when I see brands and companies that know who they are, what they're trying to accomplish, and then they match a strategy with that. And so I, I think I've seen a number of examples yeah, of that. No, that's terrific. Your CEO, Ryan, mm-hmm. spoke on one of the big stages here in Cannes, and I've done that, and it's intimidating, mm-hmm. and he did that early in the week, and it, he got a tremendous reaction. We were in a class together yeah. when he delivered that, but broadly, totally. people are, are buzzing about it. Could you speak for our audience a bit about what his main message was and why it is resonating as well as it is. Yeah, I thought he did a beautiful yeah, job. I do too. It was and it was a beautiful intersection of he had the right data, I think he had the right trends. He told beautiful stories. Um, but I also think he hit a message that the industry really wanted to hear and he set up it was a really at the end of it, it was really inspirational because it was about the opportunity ahead. So he shared a bunch of data about what we're seeing trends in the industry. So we're really fortunate at LinkedIn. We sit on a ton of data and insight about what's happening across every industry from a talent perspective. And so we talked about what we've seen, quite frankly, in the data of talent inflows and outflows of the creative industry, and that we've seen this outflow of creative talent and this inflow of technical talent. And it makes sense. Everything's gotten more digital. But I think he really caused people to pause and question, like, is that is that the fate we ultimately, like, if we don't pause and look at the data and, and make sure we're being intentional about that, is that the actual outcome we wanted to drive. And so I think that was, I think people just, it was a great moment of reflection. I think data does that for some time, like the right data presented in the right way causes us all to question. So then he used that as a platform to talk about like, what is creativity and and this idea of promise making, um, which then he used as his passion point, which is the opportunity ahead of us is in B2B. Like there is, there we have massively amazing B2C companies and brands, and they've done great things, but we have this entire sector of where the growth is coming from in the future, and it's B2B. 
and we haven't done brilliant B2B marketing creative. And you and I were with a whole bunch of B2B CMOs. And what I loved was just the humility in the room of, you're right. Like, and it's on us to get this right. So I think it was equal parts like reflective, but also inspirational of like, marketers and creatives love challenges. Here's a challenge in front of us. Like, how do we create promises in B2B um, and take this mantle? And B2B buying is so different from B2C. And we've tried to copy B2C playbooks. In the past, it doesn't work, right? You know, you how you buy a chocolate bar and how you buy a software app are different. And um, the dynamics, the emotional drivers of it, the number of people involved in your purchasing decision. So I felt this energy, I'm curious if you did too, of just leaders of B2B wanting to lean into finally feeling freed up to to lean into what's unique about them, but also taking this this mantle of being massively more creative in their promise making. Yeah, we were in, I was in a room with a bunch of B2B CMOs and it, at your program and the the discussion we had after his speech was over was inspiring. I thought so too. I mean, it was energetic, it was optimistic, there were ideas flowing. And I'd like to be I'm just curious if you were in the seat of a large B2B player, like the ones that were in the room yesterday. After hearing that, what would you do when you went back to your team? Yeah, I thought we talked about this, which is interesting, which is I think one thing I would do is try and take Ryan's message to my peers. So I'd try and take him to my product leaders. I'd try to take it to my CFO. I'd try to take it ultimately to my CEO. I'd try and help um, – because CMOs don't operate in a vacuum in our companies. And I thought one of the interesting conversations we had yesterday was one of the differences with B2C and B2B is, and I loved the chocolate bar example. Like when you're buying a chocolate, when we're buying a chocolate bar, there's really not a lot of product differentiation. So it really is the brand that causes you to buy one over the other. And that's sort of known and given in running shoes similarly. On the B2B side, there has always been this like, well, we can add five more product features and then our product will be massively differentiated. And, oh, marketing, you can like tell the world about it. But it's like about this product innovation piece. And I think this like realization that there's a shift that is as much about the promise and people understanding the product as those like five additional product features. So I think we need the partnership and the buy-in of our stakeholders. So one thing I would definitely do is try and take Ryan's story more broadly. And I think you and I heard that mm -hmm. from B2B CMOs is like, help us tell this story more broadly. And then I think it, it, we talked a lot about it. It's like the brief. Like, let's get our briefs right. Like, let's go back and make sure that the challenges we're laying out for our teams feel big enough and, and, and inspirational enough and are kind of hitting at that right level. I love that. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. I want to stay on your platform for a minute. Ryan used so much data yesterday from your platform, so and he visualized it in a beautiful way and made it actionable. We have been in such a dynamic time <laughs> the last two years for all the reasons we know. I don't have to go through them. You are just the best platform for understanding people's careers, jobs, movements, skills, motivations. So 
from your perspective, what should leaders, if they want to really build a company that attracts talent and does amazing things and grows, what sorts of things should be, they be doing now yeah. to attract people, help them build careers, and build a company that grows sustainably? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that question. And we spend a lot of time thinking about it because we do realize that we a lot of companies watch us and they watch what ha happens on the platform. And so we feel a responsibility to help companies think about this. Um, one thing I would tell you is the next generation, so Gen Z is like 27% of the workforce mm -hmm. growing. They're the most ethnically diverse workforce ever. And I will tell you, they care a ton about who a company is and what they stand for. So I think that's that's been true and in, in the ether. It has been more front and center. So the things you're going to see kind of coming out on LinkedIn is um, giving companies more and more of a chance to express who they are, what they stand for, what their pledges are, what their commitments are, because their talent is looking for it. Their talent is making decisions based on it. So giving companies, so we have 58 million company pages. So, um, and so like more companies, more and more investing in how they tell those stories to, to attract humans. I mean, I think one of the things we saw through the pandemic is, and you, you've heard all the stats, but we saw we saw job changes spike to over 54% on our platform. A lot of that was driven by people reevaluating why they work, where they work, how they work. And a lot of that was driven from a, I want a values alignment, like life's short. I've, I've been through this trauma. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to spend my time where it feels right for me. So I think that's it's put a lot of pressure on companies, but in a way that we think ultimately is going to be good for the world um, and good for talent. I've had a number of my recent CMO guests on this podcast as we were chatting before and after the podcast. Many are asking those questions. Yeah. And some are leaving yeah. and some are staying and, and doubling down. It's reaffirming that they're at the right place. I think it's healthy. So I've actually yeah. been, even when we call it the, the great reshuffle and um, leaders were dealing with more attrition than they've ever done. We saw some of our customers' attrition levels spike to 40% across their company. I mean, it was... It was scary for companies, and we were seeing business kind of slow as a result of it. But I've been an, I've been long on it. I've been an optimist because ultimately, if it means people settle in a place where they feel really good, then my thesis has been: as we come out of this, we'll just have a happier set of humans and workforce. Which, after two years of trauma, we need like yeah. people need to feel good again. Yeah, I think that's what we're feeling at this festival. Right? Totally, a totally. Lot of energy. People are hugging. Totally. You know, it's just they're, they're real, really happy to be back together yeah. and sharing ideas. Yeah. I mean, humans were not designed for what yeah. we had to go through yeah. for the last two years. Yeah. And I think we we know that. With that said, I think there's going to be some, like, lasting positives. I mean, people choosing how they work, having more of a of a tolerance for hybrid work environments. Or, I mean, I will tell you, like, if, if you offer a remote job right now, you get a ton more uh, interest and requests from job seekers. But I think it's a balance. I think we're realizing, yes, you can work remotely, work in ways that work for you, and we need to find ways to get humans together because that it just energizes mm -hmm. everyone. You are the CMCO of a brand that is still relatively young, mm -hmm. right, 19 years old, but has become the goal of almost every brand, and that is indispensable to people. Yeah. And every ambitious brand, the great P&G brands had that ambition, how can I be indispensable? So if I went away, people would really miss me. You're there, and yeah. you've done that in a short period of time. So what are your lessons in building a brand that is in that special place of being unique yeah. and being something that if it disappeared from this world, we would all feel it? Yeah, I love the question. And it's funny because I appreciate you saying that. I think we're always pushing ourselves to be even more. Like, I think we are indispensable. I think we're still functional in a lot of ways. Mm. And so we think there's still even more 
opportunity for our brand to be emotionally resident with people, and we hear that in the data. But I think there's a lot we've done right. I think one of the things that LinkedIn has done right is we've been super clear who we are from the beginning. And that hasn't really changed for 19 years. So from Reed to Jeff and now to Ryan, um, we've had the same vision, which is we create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. That's clear. And you can ask any LinkedIn employee and they know why they show up every day. And so I think there's a massive clarity on why we exist and what we're trying to build. And then that guides what we do with a massive amount of precision and clarity. So I think super knowing who you are, knowing why you exist, and then having a core set of values by which everyone in the company operates. So we have a set of values. Same thing, like when I've been in other companies, values have been written somewhere, I couldn't tell you what they are. Like we use them, they're they're evoked hourly, if not daily. They're how we make decisions. And I feel massively confident that any employee five degrees separated from me is making the same decisions I have made. So, And I, I think what, what I saw through the pandemic and saw with other companies as we went through a social justice reckoning is like companies were really struggling to figure out who they were and where do I stand. That clarity of who we are has guided us and I think has enabled us to be massively consistent. So which gets to what is one of the biggest goals of a brand? It's trust. Yeah. One of the reasons we're indispensable is because you trust us. You trust us because we're consistent over time. We're consistent over time because we know who we are and we that helps us make decisions. So even in the hardest decisions in some, you know, post-George Floyd murder, I mean, same of all my peers of decision, I felt like the decisions we needed to make were clear because we knew who we are were and knew, and knew what we needed to get done. You beautifully said that. But this is not easy, and you have a large organization right around the world. How do you get the entire organization, all of your people, understanding this, galvanizing around it, understanding that's what's rewarded? So anything you, your leadership does to be sure that, as you say, if you, I, I stopped any LinkedIn employee, they would say they would know who they are, why they're here, what they're trying to do, what your purpose is, yeah. and how it comes to life in their daily work. How do you do that? Um, two things, massively repetitive and model it. So I'd say massively repetitive, like we evoke it. I, I'm daily in everything we write. We can go back to LinkedIn's vision. Um, every year we publish a one-pager vision to values. So we go through our vision, which hasn't changed in 19 years, our mission, all the way to like what are our priorities for the year. Every employee has it. They know what's the playbook, what does the company need to get done, and we rally behind it. Um, we do a company meeting every two weeks. So our CEO and entire leadership team show up every two weeks for an hour and walk through what's happening across the company. Um, so we're super open. We're super transparent. We're not anonymous. I feel really strongly about that. Mm -hmm. We are not an anonymous platform. We're yeah. a real identity platform, but we welcome any question. So you're, any employee can ask any question anytime. And so I think there's a, there's a massive repetitiveness, a massive clarity. And then I think as leaders, there's a, you have to model it we have to act it every single day. If we veer even once, it creates an opening and a question. So those are the two things I think we we try to do. Tell us about your daily life as CMCO at LinkedIn. Yeah. What do you do? If we had a window into your calendar for a few months, what would we take away from that? At this level, it is, well, I laugh. I'm like, it's a CMCO and a mom of two teenagers. So it's <laughs> okay. a very like, um, and it changes day to day. Um, this role is, you know, I have a I have a massively good leadership team. So this role is like I have the right leaders in place. We have a complex business. So I don't know if people mm -hmm. know that about LinkedIn, but I don't think they do. Yeah. So I'll I'll walk through it just really quickly because I, I find it's always interesting. People are like, isn't your business all premium? I'm like, no. Um so we have a massive consumer 
business. Obviously, we have a platform, 830 million members across the world, um, 27 different languages. Like we have a massive consumer platform. So we have a, a brand team and a consumer team. A phenomenal leader in Minjay Arms who runs that organization. We then have three multi-billion-dollar business lines that build off of that platform. So uh, we ha- we are the world's one of the world's largest talent companies. So bulk of our revenue has always come from the talent industry. If you're a recruiter, you use LinkedIn. So to your point, it's indispensable. It's it's a tool you use. So that is um, five billion-dollar business. Um, so I have a leader who runs that business. We have, obviously, we're here, we're talking about the marketing business. We have an incredibly impressive marketing business. We're going three times, we're the, one of the top B2B advertising platforms, growing three times the industry. So that's one of our fast up-and-comers, great business. Um, and then we have a sales business where we sell tools to, to sales folks. Um, and then I have the comms arm. So I have large organizations, phenomenal leaders. And so at my level, it's really around ensuring they're set up for success, ensuring that the communication happens across the team. So one thing about the LinkedIn business is we're a massive ecosystem. All of the, every business interacts with that. You know, you come to LinkedIn and use it. You make decisions that then feeds all of the different pieces. So for me, it's like understanding those pieces. Um, and then a big part of my job is being an executive running the platform. So there's, you know, Ryan has a leadership team of nine of us. We run the platform um, and the business. Um, so my day is a lot of people meetings, um, a lot of time, to your point, cascading, informing, rallying, communicating with the organization so they know what they're doing, why they're doing, how they're doing it. Um, a lot of connecting dots, and then hopefully like a lot of just pushing us to make the right investments and decisions looking forward. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You went through sort of how you're organized and how you're spending your time. As you look forward and you look, I don't know, two, three, four years out, what are the most critical capabilities in marketing, in your scope, that you need to build or double down on or expand? I mean, one is uh, one that we've noticed has gotten rusty is writing. Um, Mm. so it's funny. I think maybe it's generations growing up just writing less characters or I don't know, but there's, um, I think we've all realized that like, there's such a power in getting the words right and then communications and the simplicity and the humanity. And especially, so this is one of the things I've observed in B2B is like a lot of B2B communication is stilted and artificial. And so there's like a, just a human communication piece that my leadership team has been talking about. Like, how do we double down on investing in our teams to make sure that our communications, especially our written communications, are as human and real and compelling as we want them to be, especially cross platforms, cross channels where it's different need in every place. I think obviously this week, it's hard to not say just continuing to evolve creative chops and what creative means and creative at the intersection of channel. I don't think you can just do creative anymore, independent of knowing who and where. Like it's, it's an entire, like I love the puzzle of it, but it requires totally different formulas and it requires timelines that haven't worked the way that the the industry worked in the past. So a lot of it is talking about like, how do you, how do you create briefs that are more everlasting so you can move faster and 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 dive into things? So I think there's a massively interesting question around how we do all of that. 
Uh, global is really, I mean, our business is getting more and more global, as you can imagine. Um, 70 to 80% of our sessions come from outside the U.S., so continuing to ensure that we're building both global mindsets for those of us that sit in the U.S., um, but also building the capabilities and the right skill sets in our teams around the world. So those are a couple that come to oh, I love your t- comment about writing. Interestingly, I hadn't thought about it, but we we are asked by a lot of companies that we work with to help them with writing. 100%. And, I mean, part of it's our P&G heritage, and P&G for well, one thing they do is they pound in you from the day you join how to communicate. And you are taught how to think and write in one page. That's the famous one-page memo. Yep. And it becomes a way of thinking. I love so you focus on the big totally. stuff first. You focus on the first line, and every note is what you need. Is this to inform? Is this for action? Just basic. And what's the background? Why should someone read? You know, what's the background data? What you're recommending? Why you're recommending? And the next steps. Totally. There you go. I rattled it off. That's what we're taught to do in one page. And I just, in many companies. I think and, that's gotten lost. Yeah, yeah. And then you end up tactics before strategy or no strategy behind the tactics or no audience and you're just writing to some generic thing in a way that's so stilted and non-connective so yeah i don't know where it got lost i don't know why or where it got lost as an art but i think it's are your teenagers good writers um i'm forcing them to (laughs) um yeah they're uh they have a comms mom so they're gonna yeah yeah, but it's a i love it what do you, you're, you've been about two and a half years as CMO. You've been at LinkedIn about six and a half. What are you most proud of in this two and a half years? I'm really proud of what you said a few minutes ago. I'm proud that, of the way you think about the brand. I'm proud of, as I walk across the streets, the number of people who say LinkedIn is indispensable to me. Um, it matters. Um, and it, it, it's not indispensable. I love why it's indispensable. It's indispensable because it makes people better at what they do. It makes them happier. It makes them able to create opportunity for themselves. So I love the why behind why we exist. And I love that we are reaching more people who are realizing the power of that. So that, I mean, how do you not feel gratified? I feel incredibly fortunate to get to do that. We're here in Cannes. We're talking about creativity everywhere in Cannes. Would you consider LinkedIn a creative company? I would. I would. It's funny. I, I was reading about like what's the definition of creative versus innovative, and I'm not sure I understand it, or that I found sure like I a, <laughs> yeah, or that I found like a common different definition that I love. I think as a company, we are massively focused on the people we serve. I think we're willing to try and test different things to reach them and to serve them and to be effective. I think we um, like we we A/B test constantly to try and figure out like what what's there, what's not. I think we have an ability to imagine ahead and a world that we believe is more diverse and more equitable and where opportunity is available to everyone. And I think that enables us to dream and think big, um, which I think are all components and elements of good, of a good creative organization. So yeah, I think so. I, I don't know what it, I'll get back to you when I realize no, what I the like, formal like definition is. Creativity but, is, is, I know we, we often go to culture, we go to an, an ad, I mean, it's about unusual ways to find solutions to problems oh, and, yeah. and connect and doing things in a novel way, but with an objective, yeah. with something you're trying to achieve. And you'll never hear me kind of, I think, define us or our work in an ad because the reality of LinkedIn is I can do all the advertising I want in the world. Your experience with the LinkedIn mm. platform is going to be your definition of the brand first and foremost. So what we do in the marketing is just build on that and leverage that and enhance that and all of that. But 
anything I do in an ad disconnected from the product is a complete waste of time. And so when we did our brand refresh in 2016, that was the underlying premise. It's like if the marketing team does this alone, it doesn't matter. It won't move the needle. So brought the product team in and we rebranded the company as a product and marketing team together because the experience you have on LinkedIn, the belonging you feel, the humanity you feel, I can all do ads all day with humans to try and make you feel human. If you then go log into LinkedIn and it doesn't feel human, it doesn't matter. And so you'll never hear me describe anything really from a just an ad perspective because it's a small part of what we do. Well, you've been a part of building that culture at LinkedIn. So what's your advice to others to build a culture that we're describing right now, a culture of purpose, a culture of creativity, a a culture of of customer people centricity? I mean, I think it probably gets back to the answer I had earlier, which is like, I just, I, I tell companies to just really get to know themselves well. Like, I, I'm curious what you think, but I feel like a couple of years ago, you could sit in the marketing department and decide what you wanted the world to think of you. And then you could just pay a ton of money and you could just tell. And I think you and I can both think of brands that did that very well. And then it stopped working. And I think we're now in an era where brands are, I, I say brands are super exposed. Your brand is what your employees say about you. Your brand is, and it's on stage and it's exposed all the time. And so I tell CMOs and others who ask me, like, get to know who you, like, get to know your core, who you are, and then figure out how you build on that. Because then it's authentic, then it's true, then it's top to bottom, then it's like you're not, you can't manufacture anything anymore. And so I think just that that true clarity of why you exist, that true clarity of who you are, and then whatever that is, use that to build your platforms going forward. I often say that the definition of a brand is the collective intent and behaviors of everyone who works on the brand and touches the brand. It's as simple as that. Well, I start every presentation at the company of every single one of you is on the brand team. Absolutely. I, it's not five people in my organization, every single LinkedIn employee is on the brand team. And that's the right philosophy. When that happens, you build a culture of creativity and a culture that values the right things. 100%. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your career path. It's an unusual one for a CMO. You have a really strong background in corporate comms and analyst relations. I do. At Sun and at Cisco. I've worked with a lot of people in those roles. It's a tough role. It's It's a a high pressure role. (laughs) It's an always on role. And you've got to be a great communicator. So how did that experience prepare you for what you're doing now? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I never thought I'd be a CMO. And I have a couple mentors who laugh. They're like, I thought you're never going to be a CMO, Mel. And I'm like, I know somehow it happened. Um, Those roles were great for a couple of reasons. Um, Analyst relations is a pretty tech-specific role. Mm -hmm. So for those of you not in the tech industry, there is a set of industry analysts. They, especially on the B2B side, tend to influence a huge amount of buying decisions. So it's this really tricky role in that you have to deeply understand the technology. And then you have to be able to sort of influence and understand these analysts and how they're going to cover you and how they see the industry. And um, it's a great skill set to build. And and it also forced me to just get really comfortable with technology, which I think, um, and we talked about this yesterday, it's like hard to do good B2B marketing if you're not willing to understand the products and the technology. So I think it was great from that base. It was great to your point on like building relationships and how do you constructively disagree or push people and have great conversations that try and evolve both of your thinking. So so yeah, it was great. I also did investor relations, which is another kind of component of it, which I don't know that a lot of CMOs have had have in their background, but was ma- is massively helpful when you get to be 
A CMO sits on the executive team. I'm a leader of the business. When you're in investor relations, you understand how business works. You understand how to talk through a balance sheet and an income statement. I mean, you ha- you're on the front line of explaining both business strategy and financial strategy. And so I think it's massively helpful to see CM- to me as a CMO to have had that background. Um, and then, yeah, it's funny. When I'm advising smaller companies who are looking for CMOs, I get called a lot. I've observed that there's sort of two paths to the CMO role, and one is through the comm side and the brand side, and one is through the performance side. And it's very rare unless you are hiring an already sitting CMO that someone has both mm-hmm. in their portfolio because yeah. they're fairly yeah. distinct. And And I think both are super viable paths into the CMO role. I, you and I can both think of people on both ends who are massively successful. Mm-hmm. I think it's around the CEO understanding which what who they're hiring and why, um, and that that leader then is is smart enough and cognizant enough to surround themselves with leaders who are really good in the components of the business that they didn't grow up in. So I've never been a performance marketer. I'm trying hard as hell to learn and be, I think I'm somewhat competent now, um, but I have phenomenal leaders who run those businesses um, that know how to drive that part of the business. I love what you're saying. A nice tip for CMOs, I did this a lot back when I was at P&G. I'd go with my CFO and visit our investors and our shareholders. So when we were calling the big institutions, I would go with him, and it was a it built confidence in our marketing, and we spent a lot of money in marketing, and it made me show how this is a competitive advantage. I love that, and what my strategy is. So it was, and I was side by side. I would sit in some meetings back to back on the hour with like ten or twelve institutional investors. A long day but a really good day. So I would suggest to CMOs, talk to your CFO about the role you could possibly play in building confidence in the company, and it clarifies your thinking and your strategy. And I think it's so interesting. I I, I think CFOs want to understand marketing so much more than they do. At least I find I have a they phenomenal do. CFO who is so hungry. And so I just tell my team, like, embrace them, pull them yeah. in, show them. Like, I think it's hard to be a CFO and, and feel com- – compelled that what we're doing is important, but then it can't you can't measure it in the same specificity. So like trying to understand that piece. So I love that. I think that is I also went to my CFO when I was new in the job and I said, could I borrow one of your directors to work for me? Good for you. I love that. I think that skill set will help us be better, help us be more efficient, help communication between marketing and finance. Well and the reason I love that too is that I just I'm I'm bullish on CMOs as incredibly impactful leaders of the business. But then it then that's an expectation on us to show up as business leaders. And so you have to invest in the skill set that makes you a good business leader. You need to understand the levers of the business. And you need to, like, I I am the marketing leader, but when I'm in the executive staff with Ryan, I'm a leader of LinkedIn, and I'm thinking across. And so I um, – and I think that's what will get more CMOs on boards. I, I, all of that yep. is like just, we have the opportunity. I think there's a hunger for CMOs to step up and do that more and more. And then it's on us. To deliver. To, to deliver. Yeah. Okay, we're in CAD again. We're going to end with a creative brief, and this is all going to be about creativity. And my first question is, when are you most creative? Morning. Morning? Yeah. Why Morning and outside. Like I mm. just, I... Um, I don't know. I think we all have different biorhythms. My husband and I have exact opposites. Um, but um, there's something about just the freshness of the day, hopefully a good night's sleep. Well, not here at can, but uh, elsewhere to just to just kind of step back. And Do you reflect. work on more reflective things at the time of the day? I try to. Like mm-hmm. I, I think I read somewhere that 
I think maybe it was Jeff Bezos is super intentional about how he uses his yeah. energy and times mm-hmm. a day. And it made me reflect on myself and like what I'm good at at different components of the day. And I think that creative time, that thinking time for me is morning. Um, then later in the afternoon, I'm great to do one-on-ones and, mm-hmm. and more of the connecting pieces. Yeah. yeah. What is the most creative initiative or campaign that you have ever worked on or been a part of? I don't know that one comes to mind. I, um, I'm loving what the what the team is doing right now with using our platform to destigmatize things that have traditionally been professional stigmas. So, an example, one of the ones that's up for an award at Cannes is a campaign we did around dyslexic thinking. And so we added actually a skill. So, you know, LinkedIn has skills, mm-hmm. people put their skills, they tend to put their skills, our strategy and marketing, and Jim is really good at marketing. Um, but we added dyslexic thinking and we worked with Richard Branson. And it was just an it was an amazing campaign that I think people who were dyslexic see themselves and they feel seen in a way that they haven't before and they feel empowered. We've been doing the same with mental health, like just destigmatizing people asking for help and saying it's okay to not be okay in the workplace and bringing in great change makers that that challenge those those norms i think elevating more and more black voices and underrepresented voices and and having them share their experience so that p- there is more empathy with an experience that might not be your lived but is the lived experience of your peers and your customers and your others so i guess i'd say like there's a a genre that i'm really proud of which is like mm-hmm. we have we have the ability to change workplace norms we are the professional, the place where professionals go. And so I love the work that we're doing to try and tackle some of those norms that hold people back. What is a creative campaign at large that has really moved you in your life? I think it was the always like a girl campaign is just one of the ones that I always go back to and just is like so on my mind. And I think it was one of the early, don't you think it was one of the early like anti-bias campaigns yeah, that made yeah. us all realize how entrenched yeah. some of our biases are. And I think it's like, it's still as, as old as that campaign is, it's still mm-hmm. front and center. I, I loved, I was take found myself, I always figure out, figure that something's touched me when I pull my camera out and taking pictures yeah. of it. So I was going through some yeah. of the creative yesterday and loved a campaign around adding the M to sports teams. And so the campaign was around when you Google best soccer player you always get a male soccer player mm. even though there's a female soccer player that is te- has scored 10 times more goals than that male it's always the male that comes up and so it was a campaign um, by the ywca around adding an m to the nba because it's right now it's the nba and the wnba right. why is not the mnba and the wnba so it, those kinds of it's things nice. that just yeah. cause us to Creativity. think different i loved it yeah. um i took pictures and sent to my 13 year old daughter um because i those are things that I hope Absolutely. are going to change the world. When did you develop your conviction that creativity is really important in business? It's a good question because I don't think that my early career jobs were, were all that creative. If you think about analyst relations mm-hmm. and investor relations, though, when I look back, like, again, it depends how you define creative really. Yeah. And if you define it more broadly in terms of how you connect with people and others, um, I think it was probably when I took the brand role at LinkedIn um, and looked really closely at, I was just like, LinkedIn is indispensable. Like we must be, we must be nailing it. 
And we looked at the data and we realized we really weren't nailing it with most people. We were functionally relevant, mm -hmm. but we were not human. And we asked um, we asked the question of like, if LinkedIn was a person, like who would they be? And we got all these like verbatims of like, well, I wouldn't really want to hang out with them. Like I'd talk to them to get the information. And we just realized like there's just, we're missing in our creative this human connection on something that's so human. Your right. job, your career, it's 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 your sense of meaning. It's how you provide for your family and your loved ones. Like this is one of the most emotional opportunity underlies almost every issue we have in society, access to opportunity. And so I'm like, this couldn't I can't think of a brand that would be more, should be more emotive, but we're not. And so that's like that was wow. a beautiful creative challenge of like how do we just bring the emotion to what is still functionally useful. Last question. How do you work to improve your creativity? It's something I probably should spend more time on. One of the ways I define or I think I inspire my creativity is asking really good questions and just expanding my worldview. So I don't, again, I don't know if that's a traditional definition, but I'm, I'm an innately curious person. So we talked earlier, like learning about private jets. Like I love it. So I, I think I try and expand my creativity around just learning about lots of different things and then just trying to figure out if there are threads or connections there that broaden my aperture and make me think differently. Being exposed to different cultures, different people, different lines of thinking. I mean, I think that's why I'm so passionate about diversity across our industry is like, I think we will all be more creative across our industry when we bring more and more diverse perspectives and thoughts and lived experiences to the table. So I think I've done that myself over time. And now I think as organizations, we're figuring out how we do that mm -hmm. at a broader scale. And I think it's really exciting. That's a good place to stop. Mel, it's no mystery. Your brand is indispensable. You're an amazing CMO. You're a role model for many. This has been a wonderful discussion, a masterclass in being a great CMO. So thank you for that gift. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are a legend. And so I really appreciate this opportunity. That was my conversation with Mel Selker. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. These are fundamental ones. The first one is curiosity is a critical characteristic for CMOs. We heard this a lot at the Can Lions Festival this year. In fact, I heard it directly from Ted Sarandos at Netflix and Keith Weed, the former CMO of Unilever. Mel had very specific tips on how to be more curious, including ask a lot more questions than you normally do. Second takeaway, this is an old fashioned one, the importance of writing as a discipline, how important writing is to clarify your thinking, to share your thinking and to help build a coalition. Amazon's a big believer in writing, so is PNG. Think about your writing skill and how can you sharpen it to be an even better communicator. Third takeaway, and we've heard this one before, the absolute importance of a strong, trusting relationship with your CFO. Mel has that at LinkedIn, and that's one of the key reasons she is such an effective CMO. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.